You're listening to Dr. Tony Nader, the podcast, dedicated to exploring the full potential of human physiology and mind with focus on ancient and modern techniques of self-development. Spend some time with Dr. Nader, who is leading the way in the science of consciousness and begin your journey to better understanding the relationship of mind and body, consciousness and physiology right now. In this episode, hosted by Maharishi International University, Dr. Nader discusses the difference between a leader and an enlightened leader. We learn from Dr. Nader that the enlightened leader guides individuals in the direction of higher achievement and fulfillment that benefits everyone. Hello, President Hagelin, Professor Greg, and all who are attending. It's a wonderful opportunity to be with everyone on this momentous time that really has the world uh, requiring great leadership in order to overcome some difficulties that we all know about, be it political um, or even on the health level. Leadership is, of course, on many levels. One can be a leader in a group, a leader of one's class, a leader in a team of sports, a leader of an industry, a leader of a university, and of course, on the higher level of administration of countries and nations, a leader of a country, a president, a prime minister, depending on the country's system that is being followed. So when we talk about enlightened leadership, it's at all these levels that we want to be able to guide those who give us the direction or the ability or the honor to represent them and guide them into a situation that improves their life, that makes their life progressive, evolutionary, healthy, happy, and fulfilling. I'd like to address a little bit more about the concept of enlightened leadership. And in this context, it's important to have a framework under which we have our thinking. And the framework that we want to summarize as a reference to what enlightened leadership can be requires an understanding of natural law, an understanding of what are the factors that determine decision-making or guide people into action, decision, so that they can fulfill their desires and feel that their life is meaningful? There are two factors that are in play. One is the sense of freedom. Do we have freedom? Are we free to choose what we want? And the second is the concept and idea of law that is natural law, which means there is law and order in creation. And that means for every action, there is a reaction. It's usually considered equal and opposite, but it doesn't matter. There is a consequence of one's action that is determined by some kind of law, which in the physical universe is controlled by forces. As we hear from President Hagelin, of course, and all the physicists and the chemists and the biologists, there are these laws that control and manage our physical universe 
our chemical universe and by extension biology and even psychology and sociology. So if there are laws in the universe, therefore there are set kinds of reactions to all the actions that we take. And when there are set laws of action and reaction, it means that we are responsible for what we do. And the responsibility is on the level of the results that our action gives us. So if we do something right, hopefully we will get supported in certain ways. If we do something wrong, be it the law of the nation, the social laws, or above all, if there is a law, a law of the universe, laws of life, then they will kind of bring to us the result of our action. This is very simple. If you plant an orange tree and wait for a while, you're going to get oranges. You will not be getting banana or mango. So this is a very simple action and result, cause and effect. Therefore, there is a system of understanding whereby it is not possible to give to anyone except what they deserve because we are master of our life. We decide what we want to do and we make decisions. And based on those decisions, we get the results of our action. Therefore, if there is a society that is at a certain level of functioning, has created certain levels of decision-making, activity, decisions for the climate, decisions for life, decisions for taxes, decisions for exploitation of national resources, relationship with foreign entities, and, you know, maybe interacting in some way with different governments, whatever that is, that can be as simple as small local laws and decisions, as well as global kind of laws and decisions that that have an effect on the relationship of the nation with other nations, then those actions, those laws that were created on the man-made level, on the human-made level, women's made level, they are laws that we have created, that people have created, and actions that have been undertaken. And therefore, we expect, according to the concept of law and order, that there will be the results of those actions that have to be uh, reaped. So whatever you sow, so shall you reap. This is a fair law in nature. Therefore, what can a leader do in this situation? If this is the situation and people have a certain set of actions that have to lead to a certain set of reactions, then the leader in principle, in this context, cannot do anything because the leader can only give to the people what they deserve. This is only fair. The leader cannot stir or change things and steer things in a different way and change the uh, law of the universe in order to give people what they don't deserve. And this is not just on the sociological, social level. It's a big question of philosophy, of science even, about the determinism of life and living and decision-making and responsibility. However, let us now think that 
under the context of uh, deservability, the leader as if cannot do anything. And Marishi has emphasized that the leader ultimately is the reflection of the collective awareness, the collective situation of the nation. So in order to change the leader's decision and make the leader make the right decisions, it is very important that the society itself is changed, is making the right decisions, and its deserving ability, its deservability is improved. And therefore, this is why in our understanding and concept of the importance of making a difference, we don't look as much at the leaders as we would look at the collective awareness of a nation that is the source of the inspiration and the guiding light that gives the leaders their directions so that the leaders can give to the nation what the nation deserves. It can sound a colossal work. How can you change the lives and decision makings of everybody in society? But with the research that has been done on consciousness and the transformation of consciousness through the groups of people who meditate together, practice transcendental meditation together, and practice the advanced techniques together of the Siddhis, what we call the Siddhi program, which is Siddhi is a term in Sanskrit that means perfection, that is perfection in thought. We have seen, and this the Maharishi International University has participated in a, in a great way in the research, it has been the scientists of MIU who have started this research with Marish's guidance and led it throughout different phases, that by transforming society and leading society to a higher state of consciousness through the Siddhi program, through group meditations, that we can create coherence and then therefore deserve ourselves as a nation and as a world leaders that make decisions that are life-supporting, evolutionary, and fulfilling for the needs and goals of every individual and every family and every state and, and the whole nation and the whole world. So there is a global effect that is happening. And that is why these coherence effects are very powerful and actually very fundamental and important in leading to a better leadership. So this is one aspect which is most fundamental and remains true. However, we are talking also today about enlightened leaders. So if the leader is a mirror of the collective consciousness, then the leader is um, subject to the collective consciousness. What can an enlightened leader do to transform the situation in the nation? An enlightened leader first has to have an awareness that is not subject to the changes and to the collective awareness of the nation. And that happens when the leader is at least in cosmic consciousness. 
Cosmic consciousness is a state of awareness that is gained by regular practice of transcendental meditation that allows the mind to settle and go to pure consciousness within oneself, experiencing the true nature of oneself, which is the unified field of natural law, which is a field of pure being, pure awareness, pure consciousness, that all those who practice transcendental meditation know and experience. As you continue to practice this technique and dive within the self, then this awareness of the self gets established on a permanent level in due time, and one rises to the state where you never lose this sense of being always aware of one's own true nature, which is the unified field, the field of all the laws of nature, the field from which all the laws of nature that manage the entire universe, including individual life, social life, national and international life. And established in that field which manages all the outer expressions, one is then called liberated. In, the, in Sanskrit, there is a term for that. It's called moksha. Moksha means liberation, liberation from the boundaries of perception. Usually, when you look at something, your whole consciousness is absorbed by it. Whether you're looking at a flower, you're having a thought, you're having a feeling, then you are conscious of something, always conscious of something. And conscious of something means your individuality as yourself, your, your true self, is now absorbed by the experience of the object. So the object overtakes your awareness. And as such, you are now bound, you are limited, you are captured by the object of perception. In cosmic consciousness, you are liberated because you never lose the sense of self. And as such, you are free from the boundaries of the object of perception. So that is cosmic consciousness. A requirement for a leader who would be enlightened is to at least have cosmic consciousness, to be established in the field where the leader can, of course, see everything, experience everything, and of course will not be in any way capable of giving to the people what they do not deserve, but at least the leader herself, himself, themselves, is independent of the constraints of the collective consciousness. So that is where there is freedom. That is true freedom. An enlightened leader is a free leader. Now, this free leader is not only free from the boundaries of the constraints that society and the actions of society imposes on them, but the true leader is able to make a change in society. And how they can make a change is by raising the collective consciousness of society. So a true enlightened leader, number one, will realize that there is something called collective consciousness and will raise that collective consciousness by creating groups that have been scientifically proven 
to actually make a difference in the collective consciousness of society. This is the only effective way of making the nation grow and advance and having the leaders able to make a difference because they are no more themselves bound by what is imposed on them by the collective turbulence or the collective incoherence or coherence but in the wrong direction of society. And then they can do what is good, they can do what can raise individual and social and national life to a higher level of achievement and fulfillment. So the leader can do something, definitely, but it does it, the leader does it through raising the collective awareness of society, through improving consciousness in society. And therefore, an enlightened leader, which is an enlightened leader, is a leader who is in higher state of consciousness, which means is liberated, is freed from the boundaries of perception and from the imposition of the changing relative world, being established in the field of unity, in the field of wholeness, in the unified field, which is itself the manager of all aspects of life. So when we have laws in nature, when we have laws on the national level, laws for society, laws for groups, laws for industry, laws for health, laws for that, these are different, different laws that have been created on a human level, depending on the level of understanding of those who create those laws, and depending on the deserving ability of the people these laws have to be applied on. And these laws are sometimes perfect, sometimes not so good, and all depends, of course, on the situation and circumstances. When I say these laws that are not so perfect, I'm talking about the human-made laws. But there are laws of the universe. There are laws of life. There is order in creation. The order in creation is always evolutionary, always to create new waves of possibilities for growth and development. And they are fundamental laws that are in the ancient Vedic literature called Veda and Vedic literature. And they are all present within us as human beings. Most great leaders, religious leaders, spiritual leaders, wisdom leaders, great philosophers have expressed this reality of humans as being truly made in the image of the divine, that the kingdom of heaven within us, that we are wholeness, we are totality, as expressed in the Veda, Aham Brahmasmi, everything is totality, I am wholeness, I am, I am that reality. And the research has shown that these, uh, this reality is true on the physical level as well as the mental level, that we are actually an embodiment of all the laws of nature, and that is why we are able to experience those laws and we are able to experience higher states of consciousness from cosmic consciousness to glorified cosmic consciousness, which we can call divine consciousness, to ultimately unity consciousness. And that is a fascinating topic. Everyone should 
would be great to read about and learn about and discuss. And that is really the ultimate leadership that can make a difference for individuals and for society. Now, of course, on the surface level, because this is uh, you know, beautiful, practical and effective, but on the surface level, when you talk about enlightened leadership, there are specific values that an enlightened leader would, would have and would express, you know, such as compassion, such as ability to mend differences, ability to allow opposites to coexist and use them for progress rather than for challenge and problems, ability to attend to the needs of different, different people, different situations, different circumstances, knowledge of what is happening, knowledge about economics, about law, about, about defense and dealing with that, sometimes very difficult situations, very difficult possibilities that are facing the leader. And so there is a need for great intelligence, great refinement in thinking, ability to be diplomatic, ability to be of, at the same time truthful. And ultimately these values, they develop here and there, of course, in different leaders, but they find themselves, the leaders, having to struggle even with their best intentions because the society is not allowing the leader to make such decisions. Now, these values are very important. One can think of them on the surface level, but ultimately, these values are automatically gained and developed and are able to be assimilated and become part of the leader when the leader's consciousness is free from stress and strain, when the leader is themselves freedom, have freedom, that freedom that we talked about, when the leader is not subject to limitations and boundaries and fears, when the leader is able to think globally for the good of all, and when the leader is not caught by one's own personal importance, one's own personal desires, one's own personal uh, gains, but for the gains and desires of the whole society. And this happens spontaneously when the leader is having that level of inner fulfillment, inner enlightenment, then they are established on the level of fullness because they have realized that they are everything. They are the unified field. And in that realization on the level of cosmic consciousness, I am totality, I am wholeness, then there is no sense of fear, no sense of lack, no sense of having to benefit oneself personally or having to manipulate anything, whether it's news or events or lobby or situation and circumstances. They are now free from all of that, but they of course can, can lobby, they can talk, they can guide, they can direct. But from this fullness perspective, which we can call the fullness of a parent, a parent who is enlightened. And therefore, true leadership, enlightened leadership, is a parental role. It's not the role of uh, taking pride in one's, uh, in one's function and thinking that as I'm a leader, people are here to serve me. 
And therefore, I want to benefit from having acquired this position of honor and importance. But the leader then will naturally feel, I am here for service. I am here to give. I am here to nourish. I am here to take care of everyone as if they were my children. So that is why an enlightened leader plays a parental role, a parental role towards everybody. A leader of a nation, the nation is the responsibility of the leader looking at the nation is as if it's a parent looking at their children in the most intimate, loving, caring, supportive way. And that is not possible if there is a sense of fear, a sense of limitations, a sense of what will happen if I do this. Maybe some people will like it, some people will not like it. Next time they will vote for me, the following time they will not vote for me. If I do this, then I have to satisfy them in that particular way or tell them that particular story so they can vote for me. Whereas I know within myself that this is not what is the best for them. And I know within myself that this is not what I'm going to do, but I have to do it and I have to say it right now. And maybe I'll change my mind later. Who cares? The main, main thing is to get the votes. All of this is not enlightened leadership. All of this is leadership based on limitation, on boundaries, on fear limitations of life, limitations of understanding, limitations of leadership. And this really cannot be changed on the surface level. You can tell somebody to be compassionate, to be caring, to be thinking of the good of all. But if within themselves they feel, I don't care, uh, I want to care only about my interest and, and my interest of even just my party or my group or my small limit rather than the interest of a nation, the interest of everybody, then that leader would say, okay, I have to say that, but it's hard to, for them to integrate them in their consciousness. And then what they'll do is they'll have a conflict, a conflict between what they think they should do, what they would like to do, where their interest is, and conflict is a great problem in leadership. This particular kind of conflict is a huge problem because there is lack of consistency, lack of constancy, lack of responsibility, and the leader themselves become stressed and strained, and that creates tension in their awareness. So they go out on the surface, they become on the surface like a football of situations and circumstances, having to react in immediate ways to what they are facing, rather than being anchored in the self, anchored in the unified field, not the self as a small self, because we might misunderstand this as if to say, oh, they are self-referral only means selfish or self-individual, they don't see wholeness. That is not the true self. That is the limited self, which is the characteristic of unenlightened leaders that see themselves in a specific box, in a specific way. But the true leader is a leader who knows that the self of their self is the same self of everything and everyone. That is the same principle as we can see from 
the concept of the unified field, the idea of the unified field, the unified field of all the laws of nature is what makes everything in the universe. It makes the galaxies, makes the trees, the animals, the climate, the water, the rain, the sun, as well as every individual and every nation and every particle and every small and big thing are all emanation uh, coming out of the unified field. And that, that unified field, knowing this kind of self with a big S, is actually transcending, going beyond the small self. And that is the self of everything, the self and unity with everyone. That's why we call it parental role, parental uh, function from a true leader. Parental because the parent sees their children as themselves, as part of themselves, intuitively, even if they don't think about it. Uh, independently, they don't have to think they have the same DNA as me and I have the same DNA and therefore intellectually I have to take care of them. This is part of nature that this is a continuation of oneself and therefore the parent will rather protect the child than, you know, take care of their own little uh, desires and needs or give the nourishment to their child. If they don't have enough, they would even give away from themselves to get the child to be supported and taken care of. So this parental role is a very great aspect of leadership. And therefore, all that happens in leadership ultimately comes from within. It's from within the self. We live our life through our consciousness. Without consciousness, we cannot dream, we cannot make plans, we cannot know anything, do anything. You know, if somebody is not having consciousness, be it for anesthesia or, or whatever, they, they are in coma or something, or even in deep sleep, the whole world can change, things can be transformed. What does it matter? The person is not there is not aware, is not conscious. So on that level, we live our life through consciousness. Consciousness is the screen on which the movie of life happens. And it happens not just as a projection on that movie, but it's a screen that itself, like an LCD and or an OLED kind of a screen with its own computer and processing systems within it, produces the movie and allows us to see it. So consciousness is what produces the movie. Consciousness is what allows us to see it. When consciousness is clear and bright and full, then it is allowing us to see life in great fullness. It allows the leader to be aware of so many different factors and allows the leader to compute more factors than a stressed leader can compute in order to make the right decision. When you are under stress, the nervous system focuses towards the immediate attention to the stress and the situation at hand. It shuts off the upper part of the brain and makes you concentrate for a fight or flight response. And therefore, the greater intelligence that is available is shut down. And therefore, a leader who is enlightened should know not to react in a reflex fashion, but to react with higher intelligence. And that is the leader who is liberated, who is free, 
who is established and anchored in the self, in the pure being, anchored in the unified field, which is the field that manages the entire universe, where all the laws are present, and therefore spontaneously the leader from within computes the different variables that are affecting a situation and makes a decision based on true knowledge, on deep knowledge of the self in a wise, caring way. That is true leadership. Of course, the topic, we can, we can go on and on. There are many, many aspects that are very important. What is very important is to realize that the changes on the outside one can do, but they are more difficult. They take more time on the outside. The changes from within are those that make a difference in a very powerful way in the outside. So if there is enmity, fighting the enmity on the surface is one thing, but fighting the enmity within which means removing the enmity, removing the darkness, creating a situation where the enemy becomes a friend, starts in our own consciousness, in our own awareness, because we are all interconnected. Everything is connected with everything else. And a true leader is a person who knows that and who sees everything as oneself and the highest even state of consciousness than cosmic consciousness in the state of unity consciousness where one sees everything as oneself and then one is acting always for oneself but oneself includes every individual it includes every tree every animal every climate every water every river every aspect of every other nation that appears to be different but that is acknowledged as being also part of my infinite self, of my enlightened self. And therefore, from that platform, the leader can make a difference, can make a difference and will make a difference by raising consciousness, creating groups that will improve the collective consciousness of society and collective consciousness of the nation. And since our world is interconnected nowadays, there is so much exchange on so many levels, think the true leader would aim at creating a large group and the research has shown that the square root of one percent of the population is enough to make a big difference and so a large group for the world today of eight thousand maybe or so uh, will be enough to make a difference on a global level and therefore this would be a supreme action of a supreme, powerful, enlightened leader that knows that they cannot give to society or the world except what they deserve, but knows that they can raise the deserving ability and make deserving something great and good and fulfilling possible and immediate. And luckily, we don't have to change every single individual overnight but we can create a group that will create such powerful wave of coherence and integration in collective consciousness that all the patches of ignorance will be removed when the light comes. And that is, I feel, the program that the Enlightened Leadership Program that Marishi International University is establishing 
with the support of great leaders such as President Hagelin, Professor Craig and Dr. Howard Settle, I think Michael Bush and other leaders in the world are doing that. Adrian Schoenfeld has been a great person in initiating this thought many, many years ago, and now it has taken a big aspect to it. So the enlightened leaders can be created, that can make a difference. And with the program of enlightened leaders, a large group of flyers will be there, available to bless the United States and the entire world through the United States. So thank you, President Hagland, for uh, this opportunity to address the wonderful, most creative uh, people and country and uh, all of its leaders uh, and the initiatives that you're taking, wishing you success in every undertaking. Thank you for tuning into Dr. Tony Nader, the podcast. And if you're interested in learning more from Dr. Nader, please follow him on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube.